podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. I first met Tony Collette when she was in LA as part of an awards campaign push for her breakthrough role in Muriel's Wedding. So it was funny to catch up with her all these years later in the same hotel. From that first Golden Globe nomination for Muriel's to earning the Oscar nomination for The Sixth Sense, you've seen Tony in films such as In Her Shoes, About a Boy, The Way Back, Little Miss Sunshine and her horror hit Hereditary. Tony's carved out such a unique and interesting career for herself But being an Aussie, she still plays it down using that self-deprecating sense of humour. It's hard to believe she wasn't always convinced that some of her now iconic roles would even be hits. Here's Tony. I'm just so happy that I have you. You know, you're one of the very first Australians that, besides, you know, Mel and Paul, you and Rachel came along very early on. There was that funny kind of second wave, right, with Strictly Ballroom and Priscilla and Muriel's wedding. It was yeah. kind of it hasn't been repeated. That time was 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 kind of miraculous, actually. So it's it's funny to hear about other actors saying, you know, that we somehow got over here and opened doors and and paved some kind of way. Because I still, yeah, I mean, at the time I felt like such a baby, but I suppose that kind of was the case simply because of the opportunity I was given, you know. And you were a baby. What, you were 20 or something? I turned 21 during Muriel's wedding. Wowzers. And, and you know what? <laughs> we're sitting here at the Four Seasons Hotel and I do believe this is the hotel where I first met you when you came out here for Muriel's wedding and did some press. So More than likely. I think I lived here for weeks on end <laughs> and have a couple of times in my life. I've, sh- I've lived here whilst filming and, yeah, I did a very, very extensive press tour for Muriel's wedding so I stayed here for a long period it was kind of a second home for a while it's changed a lot I don't think I like the changes (laughs) look at that mirror Mm. (laughs) it ain't right baby (laughs) (laughs) so um let's just talk about your early days when you started you grew up in Blacktown I lived in Glebe till I was five with a lot of extended family and then yeah, mum, I remember mum and dad picking me up from school. I had no idea what was going on and driving out to this rural, what was a rural area at the time, um, which, yeah, which was Blacktown, which has become very much a part of Sydney now that the whole place has expanded and become more in- inclusive. What was your relationship with film and TV growing up? Were you a fan? Oh, my Were God. You? I loved TV. Jesus. Um I used to get the newspaper and, like, kind of circle what I was going to watch from, you know each half an hour like I just had so many and I think that's why I am able to fortunately do an American accent because I watched so much American television I remember climbing into my Auntie Norma's high bed at like the age of three I used to swoon to the um theme song from the love boat (laughs) um and I yeah I mean from Petticoat Junction to the Dukes of Hazzard the Brady Bunch the you know Bewitched um I Dream of Jeannie, all the, you know, hot classics. <laughs> and we, it, on the third season of United States of Tara we shot at we, we, different, we did three seasons and each season was a different studio but the last one was 
at Paramount and we shot on the same stage as the Brady Bunch and I still got a kick out of it. Well, I don't think we ever as Australians get tired of the idea that when you actually get to America and you're driving onto a lot or you're hearing what else was shot there that it does feel like this magical other place that we all dreamed of. It still does. In fact, I just did this little part in a uh, film with Dan Gilroy um, and we were shooting at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I'd been there three times, once for a gig, uh, once for a movie, you know, they do those outdoor films on the back of one of the uh, buildings in the summer and once for a funeral, it's actual purpose. And the day that I was um, leaving the set, the street that you drive out onto looks, it just leads straight up to the Hollywood sign and I was like, my God, I'm 45 years old, I've been doing this now for so long and I'm still getting a kick out of shooting here and looking at that sign. <laughs> yeah. It's good. I'm, I'm glad that I do. I'd hate to be um, blasé about it. You know, I come from a completely different world and I still sometimes do have to pinch myself. Going from being a fan of TV and movies too, I assume. Yes. I, I, the first film I ever saw at the cinema, I was probably too young for my dad took me to see Grease when I was five and it's still very watchable. <laughs> and the first film I tried to watch, I, was, I think I must have been about three and my parents kept telling me that this film, The Wizard of Oz, you're going to love it, was going to be on television on Friday night. And I was so desperate to watch it and I waited and waited, finally started and then I fell asleep before it even got to colour. <laughs> <laughs> I was little. <laughs> I was tired. Clearly had a big week. <laughs> you were such a good actress in your early days that you convinced your parents you had appendicitis. Is that yes. a true story? Really? Yeah, and I they actually took them out? They did. I, I had a slight pain in my stomach. It probably wasn't even worthy a day uh, worth a day off school. Um, and I, yes, I, I guess I pushed that story to its limit. And I still, I mean, I guess the only conclusion is I guess I wanted attention, and I got it. And I am so mortified and embarrassed by it now. I can't. I was eleven. And my mum had told me she had her appendix out when she was 11, so I was like, this is the time. She also told me that when the doctor pushes on your stomach, it doesn't hurt, it's when the doctor lets go. So I kind of had an inside scoop on what the symptoms would be. You were doing your research even then. Oh, appalling. It's just so embarrassing. It's pretty impressive, though, that you you got it all the way to the point where you actually got yourself into surgery for it. It's I wouldn't say impressive. I'd say <laughs> <really> fucking weird. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, yes, so, yeah. I was 11 when that happened. So at what point do you remember actually consciously thinking I could act for a living and I want to? Well, you know, first of all, I, I loved to dance. I remember my cousin Lee uh, had a dance recital and they, the kids weren't like, my parents thought kids weren't allowed to go. And I was so devastated and my mum came back and got me and said, yes, all the kids are there. She came back and got me and took me out there and I watched this performance of these little girls running around with, you know, floating like fairies through the room or whatever and the room had a specific scent, that dance rehearsal room scent and I was so excited by it I couldn't wait to start dance. So I danced as a kid. Um, I was also very athletic and then in school there were just little performances in primary school. I remember one incident actually I was in first grade and the teacher, they said, okay, we're going to do some, I didn't understand what it was, some kind of performance and we were having a singing class and I went, oh, like that. And she went, who was that? And I thought I was going to get in trouble so I didn't put my hand up and she kind of pointed to all the, you sing, do it, you sing, you sing. All the kids are going, ah, wobbling around the room. And she never came back to me so she didn't find out it was me. 
And so I ended up doing the dancing part of the show and so she thought this other girl, Nicole, had sung. So I kind of learnt my lesson. I was like I just didn't own up to something and I missed out on doing something I really wanted to do and it taught me a lot about lying slash withholding information. And um, <laughs> Speaking up, putting your hand up. Yeah. So even then I kind of did want to perform in, su- you know, in some capacity but it wasn't until – high school I remember I was too I didn't know what was going on in year seven so I missed the auditions for Pippin by the time I found out about it they were like no we only need boys we've got enough girls so the following year they were doing Godspell I got to the audition early and that was it it was a big experience for me I loved it it was a really talented group of kids at the school and well it was a line between the girls school and the boys school so we got to hang out with the boys sing, dance. I've kind of realised very recently actually, I'll put it together over the years but kind of more comfortable talking about it maybe, that when my grandmother died I didn't know how to grieve and so there was this moment in Godspell where all the characters were grieving Jesus dying and I would just bawl my eyes out on stage to the point where I'm pretty sure people in the audience were really uncomfortable like what is going on with that girl? (laughs) But for me I found a way to let my, to express myself and so for a long time I think that's what acting was for me. It was like um, an outlet and my relationship with it has changed and and grown um, as I have but initially I think it was like a relief to find a way to just let shit out. Wow. Mm. Who did you play? Well, we all had our own names and we were. it was set in like a toy basket so we were all kind of toys. We used our own names. I sang um, Bless the Lord and I sang, um, what's that duet? Oh, about the pebble in the shoe. It's actually very beautiful and kind of discordant. Where are you going? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. Long time ago now, Jen. Can't, can't quite remember. <laughs> um, but I got to kind of belt it out and it was so much fun. I just felt completely alive. And so from then one of the teachers suggested you should go. They're doing this. It was, I guess it was coming up to um, the, our bicentennial year in Australia. And so there was this newly written uh, and created bicentennial musical being done at the Australian Theatre of Young People. And I was encouraged to audition. This was in, I grew up, this was in Blacktown by that point. So just even getting into the city was a big deal. And thousands of kids auditioned and I ended up getting the lead in that. And so we rehearsed for, it was probably like a pregnancy, maybe about nine months. And um, we, so ATYP is pretty incredible because you work with all these very talented um, professionals, but you know, you just. A lot of kids. Aussies have come through there. Nicole Kidman yeah. went there, Rebel Wilson, I think. Right. Rose Byrne. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good to hear that you also got a break from them. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I felt like I'd woken up and was, you know, acting made me feel like that. I was like, oh, this makes me feel very alive, very awake. Because suddenly I was like finding my thing, you know. Um, So it was really clear to me that I wanted to keep doing it. By the time I'd done a couple of plays with ATYP by the time I kind of finished year 10 so I was about 16 and I went back to do the extra couple of years I was really good at school people were saying she's gonna be the school captain I was academically really bright and I was like no I found my thing bye my parents were freaking out totally understandably but I just knew it's so bizarre how you know that at (laughs) such an early age no sense of fear like just this is it wow yeah wow it's funny this knowledge you you get the lead then I suppose that makes you just very even more confident that you're doing the right thing. Did you – you went to drama school after that? What did I do? I I did my first film, um, which was Spotswood, a film with Mark with None other than Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, Ben Mendelsohn, Russell Crowe. What was that like? I was a baby <laughs> and 
I was in Melbourne without my family and I was being, you know, taken out and shown around and given money and, and, you know, Melbourne's a very exciting city. Dan Wiley and I became really close on that and we just really had the time of our lives. Um, And so after that, I just thought that was a kind of a one-off thing. I didn't think it would continue. Um, Bill, the late Bill Shanahan, um, a great agent in Australia, great agent in Australia who worked with a lot of really incredibly talented people. And I was very, very lucky that he took me on kind of, he didn't want me to keep working. He wanted me to go to NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art and hone my skills. So I very much listened to him. Um, although I did drop out of there as well. Um, I did a year and in the second year I guess Spotswood had come out and Neil Armfield, who's a brilliant theatre director in Australia, wanted uh, me to play Sonia in Uncle Vanya at the Sydney Theatre Company with Geoffrey Rush and Peter Carroll and Helen Bidet and all these people I'd been kind of admiring for several years. So I left NIDA to start working and um, I think Muriel's wedding happened the year after that and then it really hasn't stopped since then. Wow, working with Geoffrey Rush and, and at the Sydney Theatre Company, your very first play. Yeah, I, actually I did one other play um, uh, at the Q Theatre uh, which was a play called Operation Holy Mountain and it was this beautiful story about this girl who had cerebral palsy and she could communicate with animals and it was about saving animals and seeing ourselves as part of nature. Yeah. And then I went to NIDA after that. It does feel like a very small world because everybody, when they're telling their story of kind of growing up in Australia as actors, you all end up meeting the other actors that, I, you know, that I'm talking to, you know, Ben and Russell and uh, Rachel and it, it just feels – and Jeffrey. I mean, that's in, incredible when you're very young to suddenly find yourself – working with people like that. And I remember I lived with um, this guy, lovely Dylan, and his mother is Jackie Weaver, right? And so I knew Jackie from an early age and then worked with her on on Cozzy, which was also with Mark Joffe. Another great movie. Yeah. And both Jeffrey and Jackie kind of came into a lot of success a little bit later in life, which is just so inspirational. But, yeah, it is a a bit of a, a very active small pond, but... Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I know everyone. I know, you know, enough people to say hi to, but I've got a couple of close buddies who are who were doing the same thing. So, when you got the, uh, I don't know if it was an audition or a script for Muriel's Wedding. How how was that? What was your reaction when you first heard about the movie? I first heard about it when I was contemplating leaving NIDA to do Uncle Vanya, and because I didn't want to leave and do the play and then like have nothing to do, go back to delivering pizzas or whatever. And you were delivering pizzas? At one point I did, yeah. Um, I delivered pizzas. I also worked at General Pants for a little while. I know how to fold a good jean, and <laughs> I really do. You'd be surprised how many people do it incorrectly and create a very unattractive crease <laughs> in the butt. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so... Bill Shanahan died actually whilst I was at NIDA and Anne Churchill-Brown took over the agency um, who to this day is still like a family member to me. and She's an incredible woman. She's an incredible woman, brilliant agent. She's guided and so many careers. A great, great friend. I love her. And so she kind of said, uh, well, it's not happening yet but there is this there is this film that's going to be made. It's called Muriel's Wedding and she kind of gave me a brief. I didn't know much about it. Anyway, a year later, weirdly, I was thinking about this vague conversation that Anne and I had had. I'd 
just kind of randomly called her and asked her what was going on with this film. And remember you mentioned that and she said, this is very strange because it is now happening and I was about to call you about it. I was also always so touched by the fact that, you know, um, agents kind of make lists of who they think is right, you know, try and get any one of their clients into a job whether really they're right or not. And Anne sent in this very short list of just me to play Muriel. And I remember her sending it to me and I just loved it. It's it's very strange. Like I talked about knowing I wanted to act. I also had a knowledge that I had to play that part. Um, you were Muriel. Yeah, really. That was – it felt – I mean I've said this before, it kind of felt like a religious experience. It just was – and you know what? The good jobs are kind of like that. They are so immense and they are so a part of you before they even – kind of become what they are um, and they still kind of remain this beautiful mystery. There's this kind of merging of you and the story and I, and I don't ever quite understand what it is that is the potent part of it or the part that connects me with it or vice versa but there is a kind of beautiful kind of ephemeral quality to it and Muriel's wedding did did have that. I mean I didn't know what it was going to do. It opened up all kinds of doors and allowed me a career I could never, ever have dreamed up, but that's, that is what it did. Did you and Rachel meet when you started work together or? Um, we met because uh, Dan Wiley was first cast as Perry and then apparently I met with PJ on the very first day and he thought, oh, everybody's like this, it's going to be easy. And so he spent three months going all around meeting everybody else who might have been slightly appropriate and then came back to me. So then he cast me and then he brought me in to kind of read opposite other people. So I met Rachel at one of her final auditions, I guess, and then we went and had lunch with PJ, I think, from... My memory's really gone to shit since having kids, I've got to say. I can't remember everything. But I do remember kind of sitting opposite her and being at that... I guess it was a similar dynamic to to um, Rhonda and Muriel because I remember just being so in awe of her ability ability to have like bought an apartment. How did you bought a flat? Like, you know, she just had this adult life that I didn't quite She's have yet. She's kind of cool. She's super cool, man. She's so like she has the gift of the gab. She's just so charming and witty and able to talk to anybody about anything. So the movie came out and not only here but it was it was a huge success around the world. When did you realise it was actually it was, being seen by people other than my was, parents? <laughs> not just in Australia, you know. Yeah, I think the moment there was a moment in New York where I was just kind of, you know, wandering around the street, who knows what I was doing, and um, these two guys came up to me and were just, they just melted all over. They just couldn't believe that they were running into me and they were just losing it and after that little interaction I was like holy shit I am in New York City and those people just recognized me from a movie I did that is pretty wild and yeah I guess I did a lot of publicity it was bought by Miramax and Harvey's very good at you know getting films out he's a very good distributor and so uh, I traveled all around the country doing a lot of um a lot of promotional stuff, which was both very, very exciting and eye-opening and also a little bit lonely and just weird. <laughs> um, and I did, I went to lots of festivals around Europe as well and it was a really, really brilliant, life-changing time. And I didn't even quite know where it was going 
but it was going, you know. I still, re- I, I really still remember you going and having a one-on-one interview with you in this hotel for Muriel's wedding and you'd done so much press at that point, I think. Oh, and no. They, but they were moving into the whole push for the award season oh, and, right. and all of that stuff and you just, you, I just remember you looked a little bit lost. <laughs> um, when when you got to LA or to Hollywood and, and it wasn't like there were all these other Australians already here you could go and sort of hang out with like there is now, What what was the, what do you remember about? LA, Hollywood, you know, just that time in your life being here and having a movie that everyone was talking about. I mean, more than anything, the the overarching feeling about it was excitement slash disbelief <laughs> because it really was so far away from the rest of my life. I was just having these crazy experiences. Like I told um, Gabriel Byrne, whom I love, he plays my husband in Hereditary, was awarded in Ireland recently and he asked me to... Um, record like a little congratulatory speech for him and I was dressed, this is going to sound crazy, but the job that I was on, I was dressed as Madonna for a fancy dress scene and so it reminded me that it was at that time I met him when I first came over here at some kind of Oscar party and someone said, do you want to meet Gabriel Byrne? And I was like, oh, like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to speak but I'll certainly look at him. <laughs> um, and he was standing there talking to Madonna, right? So I get kind of taken over. I'm completely inarticulate and then kind of mumble and walk away. But I was so excited to meet him and I never in my life thought I would have the opportunity to work with him. And then here we are like however many years later, 25 years later, 24 years later. And you're, and and you're married on the movie Hereditary. Yeah, and he's just the most delightful human, was so great. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's, it's a funny little full circle story. But I guess when I first came here there was a lot of hotel life. It wasn't real life anyway, in any way. I've been living here for a few years and I think about what it was like for me when I first moved here compared to what it is now. It is so vastly different. I don't go to the same areas. I don't do the same things. It's probably my age but it's also just it's very different to live here. It's, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's not all book soup and Sunset Boulevard and, you know, like parties and... and well, and um, now you've got kids and you've got a life it's here. It's just, so. yeah, much more domestic and, yeah, pretty just average normal moments that you have which become even more special because you have more of an idea of the context of life, really. Well, you said that after Muriel's it just kept coming and it never really stopped. I mean... You've made something like 68 movies or something. Really? Which is pretty amazing, on, according to IMDb. Um, I trust and, you know, IMDb. Sometimes you've <laughs> More made, than my own memory. <laughs> sometimes you've made, you know, like four or five in a year. Yeah. Um, which I know that can seem a lot, but some films you're really only on it for two consecutive weeks or something. So it's not like I'm a robot with no life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just to me it, it communicates how much passion you have for working that you obviously – you find a lot of things that you, you It amazes love me that I still it. love it, you know, and I'm and I'm able to be I'm able to be inspired by it. I still love meeting I mean it I think the film industry really draws a lot of interesting people into its fold. And so it's about the people, it's about the stories themselves. And I and it keeps me curious. It keeps me kind of awake to life and appreciative of life because I learn through all the characters that I play and the different perspectives that I become aware of. 
When you got offered The Sixth Sense, did you know that, did it feel like it was another one of those movies like Muriel's Wedding? Embarrassingly, I was more interested in doing Bringing Out the Dead with Martin Scorsese, which I'd met on at the same time. Um, And I remember I'd worked with Christian Bale a a few times and we were hanging out in New York and we're walking along the street and I looked at him and I said, I just have this really weird feeling. This is before cell phones. So I was like, I've got to, I think I just should call my agent. I just have a feeling something's happened. So I went to a payphone and I called Adam Isaacs, who was my gorgeous agent at the time. And he was, no, I called the hotel room to see if there were any messages. And there was, he had left this really excited message. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I got a movie with Martin Scorsese. Finally, I got hold of him on the phone. He was like, no, 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 listen, listen. It's not bringing out the dead, it's the sixth sense. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Um, which is (laughs) hilarious. Um, When I read The Sixth Sense, I mean, I found the idea of working with Martin Scorsese to be, I was so enamoured by his entire filmmaking career, right? And then here's Knight who'd made one of the film, I think, which he'd made in India that he starred in that nobody saw. And when I read the script, I was told it was Bruce Willis. At the time he was just doing a lot of movies that I wasn't interested in. So that didn't wasn't really a draw card for me, even though he sort was a big like movie star. Movies, a lot of action-heavy like, yeah. films, yeah. yeah, which I still haven't seen. Um, and I really did love the script. I found it very surprising and moving and I didn't realise it was a scary movie. I just thought it was this gorgeous spiritual story. I went and and spoke with, with Knight again after he'd offered it to me. And the, I remember having my audition and I'd shaved my bloody head. I'd shaved my head and I was sitting there, <laughs> sitting there opposite Knight and Bruce was at the end of the table and he was saying that his kids had loved Muriel's wedding and then I think we ended up, I did this, I read the scene in the car with Knight and it felt good. I mean, it felt good. I just didn't, I don't know, I was so focused on the other thing. But then when we were making The Sixth Sense, you could feel it. The actual making of it was like, ooh, something is happening here. Cut to, how did you find out you had an Oscar nomination? I was living in New York. I was either doing, there were two jobs that were both produced by Scott Rudin. So I was there for like a very extended period of time. One was um, Shaft, the film Shaft, remake of Shaft. And then there was a new musical on Broadway called The Wild Party. That's right. That yeah. was great. Yeah, Rumble, yeah, it was fun to do. My God. And so, yeah, Scott called me. He lives, lives for this shit. So he called me, I don't know, some ungodly time in the morning. It was very early and I was completely, completely... I was not expecting it. I was completely in shock. Couldn't believe it. That was back in the days where there weren't the million things that tell you whether you've got a shot or not and you're constantly campaigning like you do today, Yeah, there was no – I think maybe some people were campaigning. Certainly, as we spoke about, Harvey was very good at doing that. But Disney were not doing anything for me. If they were doing anything for The Sixth Sense, it did not include me. And so it really did come completely out of the blue and was just based on my work and I was blown away. So, yeah, that was such a high living in New York and going through that whole thing. It just was very uh, fast and fun and and exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's two movies we talked about that have these catchphrases that people still use to what this are they? day. Well, Muriel. Oh, you're terrible. Yes, mm-hmm. you're terrible. Muriel. I wonder how many people have... As many people have said that to you as probably have a shrimp on the barbie to Paul. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Do you know when we... And f- I see dead people. <laughs> yeah, oh yes, definitely, yeah. yeah Which is right. not your line but, you know, your film. 
neither of them are my lines. No. Um, but they do get thrown at me. So I guess I'm very lucky in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> The great thing about that is it's just really indicative of how those stories affect people and how it stays with them. And they really genuinely get excited to kind of see me and want to tell me how much they have loved those films. And you kind of make a movie in a bubble in a way. You're in your own world with these people. It's very intimate. It's very focused. And and that's the experience you take away as an actor. You You kind of have to... It's, it's not yours. Once you finish it goes, it has its own life, you're not really aware of it. But when films really do speak to people en masse, it, you are aware of it because they want to they <laughs> they talk to you. And, and it's, it is lovely actually. What are some of the other movies that you definitely have felt that experience with? I'm not sure if there have been any stronger experiences than those two. but um, People love Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you're on certain trains in New York, there's a lot of shaft love. And Little Miss Sunshine, I mean, that's another movie that sort of went on that journey and um, is also sort of evidence to me that, that you really have your own you, – you pick things. They're very specific to what you love and they may not look mainstream. They may not sound like what people would – an agent would say, you should do this – I mean, what is it that guides you in that in that choice, and and particularly with you know Little Miss Sunshine, a movie like that? It's always it's always the script. If it's not in the script, um, you it's just not ever going to be there. So in reading something, it, instead of feeling like oh I've got something else to do or my mind's on something else, I will be just as absorbed in the script as hopefully an, an audience member will be when they're watching it. So it's an ability to get lost in the script, and. Ultimately, I think I just want it to say something honest about life, to look at life from a new angle and say something really pure. That's it. To remind us that we're fucking alive because we forget. We're such numb zombies, you know. So that's it. That's a good goal to have. Yeah, that's, that's really – when I try to think about the similarities, no matter what genre it is, that's what it is that I think I identify with, something that's just really pure and really honest. And you seem to be uh, bravely jumping into every possible genre. I mean, you've gone from, you know, hereditary, which scared the crap out of me, to, you know, these lovely light musicals, to these serious dramas and television and film. Uh, you've done TV miniseries, a tsunami one. Yeah. So you're obviously you just look for a great script and doesn't matter the genre or the director or anything like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, I do want to make sure when, once I read something, if I have that, oh, this is really, this does feel a bit special, I will obviously meet the director. Like with Hereditary, I met with Ari and it was just immediately evident that this guy was incredible. He was just so clear so insightful very articulate like even if an, a, a director ca- has those qualities of, of being brilliant to be able to communicate well is also another another thing um that they need to be able to do you know if they're, they're at the helm of the ship you you have got to be the one with the vision and you have got to communicate that to people to 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 get it across the line and also he was just so kind and normal that helps <laughs> You've gone back to Australia on and off to do um, projects over mm. the years. There's a lot. There's certain actors who never went back, and there mm. are others that like to 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 keep their feet in both places. Um, how important is that for you? It's very important for me. I see Australia as my home. Still, I've been. I mean, up until five years ago, I used to leave to work and then return, and then probably about. 
yeah, five years. It's just we didn't even leave. Like I had one job in New York I thought was going to be six months and then I ended up doing a play on Broadway and then I ended up doing Miss You Already in London and then I ended up coming and it just, it just keeps, I mean life just keeps happening, Why you know, and well, there's the saying, why are you making other plans? So as as much as I wanted to get home, we all wanted to get home, things just kept happening. So... Um, it has been an amazing trot, but I, I want to get back. My kids, you know, my parents aren't getting any younger and I want my kids to be able to spend time with them and grow up with their cousins. And home is a feeling in you and, you know, as adaptable and nomadic as I am, home is Sydney and, I'll, and I miss it and I want to be there. Have you worked with a lot of Australians through your career because there's more and more of them over here now and they seem to all end up in similar projects together? Uh, Maybe only in Australia. Yeah, I mean, yes. And I, the last film I did there was Jasper Jones, which is a few years ago now. Um, and Japanese story before that. So there's once in a while there's, a, there's something that, you know, pops up that I'd – I mean, I wish I could work – honestly, if I worked at home all the time – I don't think there's enough work to, to really work as much as I like to work – but also it would be, you know, it is a smaller industry there and it would be weird to just take all the jobs. <laughs> Don't you? Like it's just it would be imbalanced. No no one actor can work there consistently, <laughs> maybe unless you're Dan True. Wiley who seems to work all the time. Um, <laughs> well, what do you think? Of, I mean I ask everybody in this podcast, like do you have a theory from your perspective of why, particularly in this wave after you, there are so many Australians who are so successful in the toughest business in the world, um, all from such a tiny little country. I mean, do many people have a succinct and, and eye-opening kind of theory about that? Because I don't. I've been asked the question a zillion times. Um, Is that yours or mine? It's not me. <laughs> Somebody's phone's buzzing. Oops. Then it's mine. Oh, Jenny. Terrible. Naughty Jenny. I thought the vibrating thing didn't vibrate that loudly. Oh, wow, that's too much information. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Everybody has a different theory and, you know, there's no – there isn't really what you realise is there's just not one thing but there's a lot of different things people talk about. I really don't – I honestly I've thought about it and I don't don't think there can be any one generalised kind of answer for that that question. You must have a lot of filmmakers who – talk to you about the Australians that they've worked with? Is there anything they say? Well, I mean, it, it is a kind of a known fact that there's a, there's, a, there's a fresh, frank quality to uh, Australians. It's very general but it, I suppose given, given the industry as it is here in America and what people are used to and what people feel they need to do to achieve certain things, there's just... It's just a different. There's a, perhaps a different approach coming from the other side of the world, where it really does feel very far away from here. And so um, I'm just making shit up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, to get this far, I suppose you have to have a certain amount of passion, right? Um, but the actors here, it's strange because it is such a big industry. There are actors who are real actors who, who have either studied or have some kind of innate amazing quality and ability. Um, but compared to actors in Australia where people, you know, they may take that route or, but mo- most people kind of do a bit of fair bit of studying and um, put some time and work in. That happens in England as well. I think a lot of actors who are capable in film and TV in both England and Australia 
are also capable on stage, whereas in America it's more of a kind of fashionable thing of being able to just appear natural on screen. There's not, I don't know how much actual skill goes into it. Right. I don't know. There are similar. There are certain cultural similarities, but. M- Jesus Christ, there are a lot of differences and I think they're the things that people are appreciating. (laughs) (laughs) We have no bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing I think that a lot of people like about Australians, right? There's an easygoing – there really is an easygoing quality. We don't take ourselves too seriously and call a spade a spade. (laughs) And you've got a lot of talented actors. Right. There's that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully, yes, that's the thing that initiates the whole train pulling out of the station, right? I still remember the night of the Golden Globes when you won the Golden Globe for United States of Tara and and Simon Baker lost that year. He was nominated. Right. And I have a picture of you with your Golden Globe and Simon together and we were all in that room and it was such an exciting night. What are those experiences like for you? Um, What do you remember about a night like that? I remember being at the... I think it was called G'day LA at the time, but the G'day USA event, I think it was the night before the Golden it Globes. Was. And I, both Simon and I were honoured that year. That's right. And Cameron Diaz gave you yes, your award. I remember and, that night. Oh I was my there. God. She lied to me. She said that she was completely unprepared and she was just going to go. And she was so articulate and so beautiful. And and um, and I just felt completely inept standing up there. I, I, I don't know, as I get older I think I'm starting to kind of own those things a bit more and use it as an opportunity to really say what I want to say but at that time I just felt really overwhelmed. Yeah, and then the Golden Globes, my God, I mean, <laughs> um, it's, it, is, it, is a, it is a massive night here. Everyone's there. More than anything it's really intimidating to have to stand up in front of all those famous heads and try to be articulate because <laughs> it's petrifying. <laughs> Um, Do you remember that? I guess that moment people tell me that when you look out and in that front area there's like, you know, the really big people and they're just looking at you. Just taking (laughs) it in, really kind of nonplussed. Um, Thank God actually Cameron was sitting right there with Martin Scorsese so she was giving me a big old encouraging grin. Um, But, yeah, I mean it was a total high. I drank a lot of champagne, (laughs) Um, danced, took my shoes off, had lots of great chats. It was... It was, I guess, as Hollywood as the fantasy of Hollywood gets. So what, what's left on your bucket list? Do you know, I was just looking, I have a list of six directors that I want to work with. Um, so you are, you are talking in terms of work, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, you, any level, but work obviously is the yeah. easiest thing to kind of like... Yeah, focus on, talk about. Um, I just want to work with really talented, inspirational people, you know. There's no point... Going to work, I I give everything. It's time taken away from my family. If I'm going to be on set, I want it to be worthwhile. I want it to be the richest, most satisfying experience it can be. So it starts with the material, but then yeah, very the, the, a director. Um, you don't want to tell me who the six directors are. Just absolutely to put it out not. There? No. no. <laughs> um, but also, like Jen and I have started my um, producing partner Jen Turner and I have started a production company, and um, so we're you know optioning books, getting them adapted, writing some original stuff. Um, there's also a TV show we're trying to get up, and so it's a matter of just getting involved. Um, you know, at, at an earlier stage in a in a story's when you evolution. did United States of Tara, that was pretty bold at the time because that was in the very early stages of when people still didn't think of TV as mm-hmm. 
something that different and you were mm-hmm. playing somebody that had multiple personalities, personalities. Mm-hmm. I mean that, what what was that like for you? It was an absolute dream. I It was one of the best jobs of my life. When it ended I thought well that's it, I may as well stop, it's not going to get any better than that. And in fact I had dinner a couple of weeks ago with Ro who plays my sister Rosemary DeWitt two of the writers who are also the showrunners on the third season and the two producers from DreamWorks. And we all still, have, we've all worked on other things and we all just are so appreciative of that time and that experience. And it was kind, it was kind of ahead of its time because if it was being made now, it would do like eight seasons on Netflix or whatever. But it was Showtime and it, Showtime had a limited um, subscription and uh, it just, you know, we did three great seasons but I think it would have had a had a longer life but it it is what it was and it was absolutely it was it gave me this oh it was just such a I mean actors want to go for it 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 gave it was an opportunity to just go for it well I hope you always continue going for it and thank you so much for your time oh you're lovely it's so good to see you (laughs) it's so good to see you too (laughs) not not on screen in hereditary though because I can't sleep. (laughs) I know. It is an intense one. It is. But thank you, Tony. Sure thing. I'm always so proud when I talk to all our Aussie stars who've had so much success and they're still so grounded and down to earth. I think it's part of the DNA about being Australian and Tony's a great example of this. She's one of our most famous and beloved stars in Muriel's wedding and yet she's still so modest about everything that's happened in her career since. And there's so much more to come. See you next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood was presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production was by Nick Slater and executive producer was Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app or look me up on iTunes. Music.